I don't have any witty stories to start off with, so I think we ought to just go ahead and get down to what we're here for, and that's the Word of God, right? So, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to 1 Peter in the New Testament, chapter 1, and I want to read uh, verses 13 through 21. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. And I want to talk today about holiness. God has really been sort of leaning on me lately about the topic of personal holiness. And um, this passage of Scripture really just sort of jumped out at me. I'm not like one of those guys that says, oh, i got a great message. Let me go find a passage of Scripture to back it up. Uh, But uh, I've kind usually I would preach through a book of the Bible, and so what I was going to preach on would already be decided for me. But this time I had the luxury... uh, but if you have your Bibles open, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, would you please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. The Bible says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, Set your faith and hope are in God. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of coming into your house to be able to gather around your holy word. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to stand up here. And Lord, just like this young man with his testimony, Lord, we know. Lord, your salvation is a great and mighty work. And Lord, we're so thankful that, Lord, when you save us, it doesn't stop there. Lord, it's just getting started. Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, you would just hide me behind your cross. Lord, I pray there are people here who need a fresh touch from you. They're not here to hear what I've got to say. They're here to hear what you have to say about their life. And I pray this morning you would just get me out of the way. You hold forth. And Lord, we ask for this in your precious and holy name. Amen. And you may be seated. You know, there is a wonderful concept in the Bible that the Apostle Paul describes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. He says that it is Christ in you that is your hope of glory. In other words, Jesus Christ is living in us. He goes on to say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that we've not only been crucified with Christ, but we've been made alive And he says that Christ is living within us. And then the Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, he says, 
Greater is he that is in you than who? He that is in the world. That's right. And so a Christian is someone who has Jesus Christ living within. Now, it's sort of like a friend of mine says. He says, I'm not inhibited, I'm inhabited. Yeah, that is what a Christian is. A Christian is not someone who has just embraced religion. A Christian is someone in whom Jesus Christ lives in resurrection power. Now, if Christ is in you, and you allow the Jesus who is in you to control all of you, his life is going to be manifested in your lifestyle in a very visible way. And I want to show you a little bit about holiness, how this plays out in the life of a Christian. Somebody who is pursuing holiness here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. First off, if Jesus Christ is filling your life to overflowing, your life is going to be marked by discipline. By discipline. Now, we don't like discipline, but let's face it, you cannot have a dynamic Christian life without it. A, a lot of folks think that the mature Christian life is something that just sort of falls on you, and, and, and they look for shortcuts. Let me tell you something. I've been a Christian for a mighty long time, not as long as some of you have, but I can tell you on, on the authority of the Word of God, there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts to being a mature believer. It takes discipline. It takes time. It takes effort. Athletes that compete on a professional level, they don't get there by being slack-jawed and lazy, do they? I mean, they don't get to where they are by being undisciplined. They spent the better part of their lives disciplining their their bodies, disciplining their, their appetites, their minds for one goal, to win to be the best there is. Paul, he talked about those who discipline themselves to win a corruptible crown. That's what you got in his day for winning the event. It was usually a little crown made of laurel leaves, and it would wither up and fade away. But he says, I'm living my life to win an incorruptible crown that will be placed upon my head by Jesus Christ himself. He says, if these people can discipline their bodies, their minds, their appetites to win something that's going to be here today, And gone tomorrow, should I not be willing to discipline my mind, discipline my spirit, discipline my body to win the crown that will be placed upon me when I face Jesus Christ someday? Now look what the Word of God says. This is the idea that Peter is writing about in verse 13. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that's not exactly a type of phrase that we use in the vernacular today. All right, what on earth is he talking about? Gird up your loins. Gird up the loins of your mind and, and be sober. And that word sober there means to be self-controlled. Discipline. Right? What does it mean to gird up the loins of your mind? Well, back in those days, men wore these robes or tunics and they would cinch them up with a big leather belt or a sash. And when they needed to get to work, when they needed to get down to it, they needed to be unencumbered by that robe or that tunic. It's hard to work out there in the field. If you're a soldier, it's hard to get to where you're going if you've got this stuff swinging around down by your, by your ankles. All right? What they would do is they would gather all of that loose material and they would tuck it up into their belt. They would tuck their tunic up underneath that belt and it would keep their legs unencumbered. Now they can get to work. Now they have girded up their loins. When Peter said gird up the loins of your mind, it's like he's saying, all right, roll up your sleeves and get to work. That's the image. So what is he saying? He's saying, I, as a believer, have to determine that I am going to get busy with my mind and my heart concerning the things of God. It takes discipline to keep your mind focused 
on Christ. It takes discipline to set aside time to get the Word of God into your mind. And there is no Christian who is going to experience self-control and going to mature and win a crown that is incorruptible, that is not disciplining themselves and bringing every appetite under the control of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible speaks of discipline. Discipline is, is a mark of somebody who is pursuing holiness. There's another mark, and it's right here in the Word of God, and that's obedience. Obedience. Now, that seems fairly simple. How, many, how simple can it be? We're simply to obey Christ in every way. That is a mark of somebody who is pursuing holiness. Now, notice what the Word says in verse 14. It says, as obedient children. Now, not every child is obedient, right? And we're, <laughs> we're children of God. The Bible says, as obedient ch- children, not to be conforming. And that word conforming means to pattern your life after. As obedient children, not pattering our lives after the former lusts or appetites or desires as in our ignorance. Listen, we're supposed to be living as Christians, like not like we used to live when we weren't Christians, right? I mean, we're, I mean, we're not to be patterning our life as believers according to principles, outlooks, teachings, truths that are not of God. We're to be governed by the will of God, the way of God, the grace of God, the truth of God. Can I say this? There is nothing that warms the heart of a parent like obedience. You kids. If you want to shock your parents, you don't have to paint your hair hair orange. You don't have to go home and put a bone through your nose. Okay? If you want to absolutely shock your parents, when you go home today and they ask you to do something, just immediately... And with a smile on your face, do it. Do it. Now, after the EMTs revive them with those paddles, you know, they're still going to be shell-shocked. I'm just telling you. As a parent, and any parent will attest to this, there is nothing that warms the heart as a parent than when your child simply does what you ask them to do. I mean, not pitch a fit, not, not argue about it, not cop an attitude, but you say, do this, and they say, Okay. In fact, most parents would just look at each other bum-fuzzled and say, man, did you see that? I didn't have to bribe him, didn't have to beat him. I mean, he just did it. Well, what about God? You know, God is your heavenly father. Nothing warms his heart like a child of his that will just do what he says to do. I mean, just someone who'll say, you know, that, that's what the Word says, and that's God's will, if that's God's mind, if that's God's desire for my life, then I am going to do exactly what God wants me to do. And I'm not going to live my life the way I did before I got saved. I am a born-again, blood-washed child of God, and I'm going to live like I have within me the living Christ. Now, I know, hey, it's been rainy outside. I know, man, this, this feels great. I've been working out. Some of you know I work over at Norfolk Botanical Gardens. I work outside. And so for the past three days, it's been a little, little challenging. But, you know, I know it's air-conditioned in here, and some of you have already gone off to your little happy place. But, 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 but just come back for this because this is going to thrill you. This, I mean, you'll like this. There was this Buddhist priest who knew a little bit about Christianity but a lot about Buddhism. Someone asked him, well, sir, in your opinion, what's the difference between Buddhism and Christianity? And he said, well, I believe it's this. 
Buddhists know what's right, but they do not have the power to do it. The Christian knows what's right and has the power to do it. Folks, that's about as simple as you can get. Let let me explain to you why you can be obedient. Because there is somebody in you who is not you, and his name is Jesus Christ. All right, And he in you, if you'll just get yourself out of the way, he will prompt you to live your life in the center of his desire, and you'll be obeying. It'll just come supernaturally. It's your response. You're warming the heart of God. God says give, you give. God says go, you go. God says stop, you stop. God says pray, you pray. God says worship, you worship. God says get in the word, you get in the word. God says tithe, you tithe. All right? Whatever God tells you to do, that's exactly what you do. That's the Baptist coming out in me, I know. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just getting around. (laughs) But there's a sense of fulfillment in the life of a Christian when you know you've done exactly what God wants you to do. Am I right? I mean, so, so discipline, all right? I'm going to gird up my loins. I'm going to get down to it. I, I mean business. I'm going to be responsible in my Christian life. I'm going to have spiritual goals, and I'm going to have spiritual direction, and I'm going to be willing to sacrifice. I'm, going to, I'm not going to be half-hearted. I'm not going to be lackluster. I'm not going to be in and out, up and down, you know, hit and miss with my Christianity. Second mark of a Christian who pursues holiness is obedience. So now, what does this holiness look like? like in the life of a believer. Uh, verses 15 and 16, because some, some folks have a false view of what holiness is supposed to look like in the Christian life. They, they, think, they think of Amish people. You, you, you know, you ever been up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, or Ohio, you know? You, know, you see those guys up there in those black buggies and they wear those black hats and, and, and you know, ladies in bonnets, you know, no makeup, uncomfortable pointy shoes, all that stuff. And unfortunately, that's some people's idea of holiness, and then in the Christian church, we got our own concept of holiness. It, it, it uses some guy in a dark suit, thin tie, looks like he needs a good worming. You know, he, he's against everything. I'm against it. I'm against it. Hey, how do you like those hubcaps? I'm against it. Well, how do you like that dual exhaust? I'm against it. You know, what would you think of that in the music? I'm against it. What about that microphone? I'm against it. You know, I mean, I mean do you know anyone like that? I'm related. You, you just know them. I'm related to them, man. I'm, I'm, I mean, they're, they're just against everything. I mean, but that's not holiness. The Pharisees, Pharisees were against a lot of things, weren't they? I mean, they looked, and they were miserable. Holiness is not something that starts on the outside and works its way in. It's something on the inside and works its way out. Notice what the Word of God says here. The Bible says in verse 15, As he who has called you is holy, you believers be holy in your conduct. Because as it is written, now this is from Leviticus. Leviticus uses the word holy more than any other book in the Bible. It's about the holiness of God and in the lives of his people. It says, be holy, for I am holy. Now let me tell you, that is a tough sell, what I just read for people, for for people in student ministry, to try and get people to believe that. Ain't it? It's a tough sell for preachers to get Christians in this modern world to embrace that. But I'm not going to fudge. Man, I, 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 I'm not going to walk on eggshells up here. And I'm not, folks, if no one receives this this morning, that, that is fine. I'm not here to give you what you want. I'm here to give you what you need. And, and folks, 
I'm just saying that a holy God who saved your soul, a holy Savior, He came down to live in your body in the person of the Holy Spirit, who didn't, who gave you the holy scriptures, right? I mean, are you getting this point here? I mean, He, He is calling you to be what? There you go. I mean, now this is, you're smart. You guys got this. I mean, this is what the word holy means, all right? The word holy literally means to be set apart. Set apart. Now, there's a positive and negative component to that. It means to be set apart from sin. Everything that's contrary to God, wrong stuff, sinful stuff, evil stuff, wickedness. This is where some folks stop and they become Pharisees, all right? True holiness is balance. It's being set apart from sin and then being set apart for the exclusive use of God. All right, now, some of you folks will identify with this. Any of you have those dishes that are set apart for special occasions? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think I could go get some amens on this one. I mean, I, I mean, you never use them. Never use them, but they're there in the china cabinet or the bright front or whatever it is, and, and they're set apart. I mean, if, if your kids were to come in there, and it's after school, and, and here comes the entire school football team in there, and they start pulling out your china, I mean, it, you're going to go in there with a bazooka and a guard dog and say, hey, that's special. I mean, you get your hand, that's for Thanksgiving. That's for Christmas. Hey, my great-grandma gave me those. Those things came over on the Mayflower. No, 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 no. You get those Dixie cups and those Chinettes right there. That's what you get. You know, now in the Old Testament, did you know that in a tabernacle and a temple, there were certain utensils that were used for special purposes? That there were things to like handle the sacrifices, to light fires, to burn incense. I mean, they didn't just take that stuff home and eat grits with it. You know, I mean, I mean, they were set apart. So when the Bible says you be holy, understand this: holiness is both a gift and a process. When I get saved, I am set apart by God for His exclusive use. But I have to live that process out as I determine with a living Jesus in control of me. Living inside of me, I'm saying not to sin, avoiding sin. I'm saying yes to God. I am an instrument in his hands. That is holiness. Now, let me tell you, if you obey what I just read there, and if you understand that holiness being set apart from sin, set apart for the exclusive use of God, you will understand that your body is not your own. Now, I don't think you need a dress like you're Amish. I mean, there's nothing, and ladies, there's nothing wrong with makeup. I'm not going to try to get funny here. But, but, but if you're holy, understand this. You're going to dress in a way that reflects that you're holy. And that goes for guys as well as girls. All right? But let's face it. You know, God's people don't want to be holy, do they? They don't, want to go, they, they don't want to go to hell, but man, they don't mind living like it until it's time to go to heaven. Yeah, but, but I do believe that there are a few Christians in this world who say, I'm going to take the Bible for what it is, the inerrant word of God. And I'm not going to conform to this world. I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And even though I'm not going to be a stick-in-the-mud Pharisee, every bit of me belongs to Almighty God. And when people look at me, I want them to know that there's something different. But the difference is radiating from the inside. Because holiness is not only seen in your apparel, it is seen in your attitude. Somebody said, Russell, I'm glad you said something like that, the way people dress. Let me, let me tell you what happened in my first church. We were fortunate. 
you know, that people started getting saved. And, you know, when people start getting saved, you start getting people in from, you know, there's a little bit of a learning curve, I guess, in discipleship uh, when, when people start, you know, learn, learning how to walk with the Lord. And, and so we would have individuals that would come dressed up. I'll let you fill in the blank. I mean, and, and young kids, I mean, for, for various reasons, either it was a money thing or whatever. But, you know, I had a couple ladies come to me, Pastor Russell, you need to talk to those girls. They're not, they're not dressing very modest. Now, that's not exactly what they said. They said some other stuff. But, but I'm saying, wait a minute. I'm not even supposed to be noticing that stuff. All right? Not only that, but you're ladies of the church. Why don't you try to take some of these young Christian girls and, and, and take them under your wing and start discipling them? You know, can I tell you something? I am not a fashion consultant. You could tell. But, let me tell, but, but, but I'll tell you this much. And, and like I said, this goes for guys as well as girls. Guys, don't be wearing those bicycle shorts around all the time. And, and, and girls, let me just say this. And this is, this, is, this is dressed the way you would want other girls to dress either around your husband or your boyfriend. Does that make sense? Is, is that pretty clear? I think that's kind of practical. All right? So it's not, but it's not about dress, right? All right? It's about attitude. You being hateful, that's unholy. You being mean, that's unholy. You being bitter, that's unholy. That tongue of yours that has hinges in the middle and is waving on both ends, that gossip is unholy. What we like to do is we ought to get a list of rules, stuff we don't have trouble doing without, and then we feel spiritual and impose it on everybody else. But the stuff in our own life, the Spirit of God is putting His fingers on. We don't like dealing with that too much. And I'm just saying, holiness is not just a matter of how you look on the outside. It's a matter of the heart, a matter of the mouth, and it's a matter of the mind. You want to, get, you want to read a good, good treatise on this, uh, Pursuit of Godliness, uh, pursuit, I'm sorry, Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. And if you want to get a, a little, bit, little bit deeper than that, Francis Schaeffer's True Spirituality. Man, you want to talk about, that'll, man, that'll have, that'll, have you, that'll have you hitting your knees. And so the marks of a Christian pursuing holiness, discipline, and obedience. Now, this is what I want to sort of camp out on here for just a moment. Holiness is also marked by awe. Now, look what the Word says. Verse 17 It says, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, you understand that one day I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. It says, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here. I like this. because We're just pilgrims passing through, right? In fear. See that word fear? That's not talking about scared of the dark type fear. I mean, some people are afraid of snakes. Some people are afraid of spiders. I mean, I've seen some individuals... Snakes don't bother them. Rats, that's nothing but a thing. But my goodness, if a roach lands on them, you know, my lands. That's not the kind of fear we're talking about here. You know what he's referring to? It means reverential awe. I am to live in the fear of God. One old Christian was asked, how do you stay fresh? He said, I've never lost the wonder. The wonder of what? A spirit-filled Christian is somebody who never got over getting saved. 
They never got over what Jesus Christ did in their heart and is still doing in their heart. He, he gets up every day amazed at God's plan of salvation, his grace. Look what the word says. How can this not fire us up? How can this not stir us? How can this not revive and refresh us? The Bible says in verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed. Now, we believe in the theological term is penal substitutionary atonement. And what I mean by that is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died shedding his blood as our substitute, and he satisfied the righteous demands of God and received the punishment that our sins demanded. He took our place. But there's also a ransom aspect to his work on the cross. It's found here in this word redeemed that I just read. And this word redeemed, it describes someone paying for the release of a slave. And in the Roman Empire, a lot of people had become slaves because they couldn't pay their debts. It's almost that way nowadays. But but they would sell people into slavery just to satisfy some of their debts. And this word describes somebody who steps forward and says, how much does he owe? And they say, this much. And he says, I will pay it in full. And he redeems the slave from the bondage of that slaveholder. That is a description of what happened to us. Because Jesus died for us. Notice it says, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, but the precious blood of Jesus. Because he's God Almighty in human flesh. He is the lamb without blemish. It was sinless blood. And folks, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't chance. And it wasn't fate. The Bible says it was foreordained in verse 20, before the foundation of the world, before God ever made a little country called Israel and carved a little mountain called Calvary, before there was ever a world in which man could dwell. God saw the future and destiny of man and and, and predetermined that the Son of God would leave the glory of heaven and come to an old rugged cross and die to redeem us. You were a slave to the devil. I was a slave to the devil. I was a slave to my desires, my passions. But I want you to know this morning, there was one willing to redeem me. He came with his precious blood. And when I got saved, I got set free. You might think, well, Russell, hey, you don't know me. I'm too far gone. You don't know the half of what I've done. Like this brother up here. Hey, let me tell you something. You may, you may be like a man named Mel Trotter. Man was a, he, he was, Mel Trotter, he was a drunk. He was an alcoholic out in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Get a load of this. His little baby died, and he snuck into the funeral home where that little baby's body was lying in state. He snuck into the funeral home, and when nobody else was looking, he stole the little shoes off that baby's feet and sold those baby shoes for a bottle of booze. Now, folks, that's bad. I, I mean... I think by anybody, even by an atheist, an atheist would say that's bad. If that's not wicked, I don't know what is. It sounds like a God is too far gone, right? Not so. Because guess what? God steps into the equation, right? Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Sin is no match for God's grace. There is no sin that grace cannot handle. And old Mel Trotter, he got under conviction and said, Lord, I am lost. And he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. You know what he did? God so changed this man that he opened up a rescue mission. He began to throw out the lifeline for men who were just like he was, and he brought them out of condemnation into the light of God's love. So I'm just telling you this morning, the law condemns, but God's grace saves. 
I don't care if you've committed adultery. I don't care if you've been mad. You've been angry. I don't care if you lie through your teeth and steal. And and you're wicked and you're nasty and immoral. I want you to know that God loves you and Jesus Christ died for you. And grace is up to the task of whatever sin you could throw at it. And washing you clean. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Getting a little spunky. Sorry. Give God the glory. But let me tell you something. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Napoleon, with all of his mighty armies marching across Europe, one battle after another, one night after our very first battle, he had sentinels, guards were assigned around the army's camp to stand guard and make sure there was no sneak attack at night. Under threat of death, if they went to sleep or abandoned their post, they took their orders and they stood. One sentinel... One guard, he went to sleep, exhausted, laid aside his weapon, and fell asleep. Well, Napoleon, he got up around midnight, he couldn't sleep. He began to walk through the camp, and he came upon this sleeping soldier. Now, because nobody was protecting that post, that man's punishment was death. So you know what he did? He picked the man's weapon up, put it on his shoulder, and he stood in that man's post all night long. Well, of course... When he wakes up and he looks over, he's alarmed. I mean, <laughs> here's the commander in chief. Napoleon looks at him and says, Son, don't fret about it, but be more careful next time. Now, folks, that seems great that he took that man's place so he wouldn't be punished, but that man was only facing physical death. We were facing spiritual death, facing hell. But I got good news for you this morning. When we couldn't save ourselves, I needed to be nailed to that cross. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He took the lash for me. He took the crown of thorns for me. The judgment, the curse of sin for me. He took the nails and the spear for me. I got good news for you this morning. God is good. And if you go to Jesus Christ at an old rugged cross and you say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm heading for hell. I got nothing to offer you in my defense. And I trust you and you alone as my personal Lord and Savior. I want you to know that at that moment, Jesus Christ is going to save your soul, move out from under the wrath of God and into the realm of grace. Jesus Christ is going to stamp on you, paid in full. You'll experience peace, pardon, and ultimately, someday, paradise. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. You might be saying, you know, Russell, that's me. I, I've, I've never gotten saved. I've never asked Jesus to come into my life. This morning, Brother Ken's going to come and stand up front, and I'm going to invite you to just come forward and let him introduce you to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for you before you even knew Him. He didn't wait for you to ask Him. He did it of His own volition. He loved you so much that He was willing to split heaven and earth wide open and hit that cross running so you could spend eternity with Him. If you've never been saved, I want you to pray this prayer and mean it with all your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know my sins will send me to hell. But Lord, in my heart of hearts, the best I know how, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin 
Come into my heart and save my soul. Save my soul, Jesus. I repent of my sin. Come into my heart. Be the master and Lord of my life. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it with all your heart, I'm going to invite you to come forward this morning and give your hand to Pastor Ken and let him lead you in a prayer and tell you what needs to happen next. Some of you, you're Christians, but your holiness, your walk, has been sort of hit and miss. Our God, He stands waiting for you. He loves you, and He has not changed. With Him, the shadow does not turn. He's ready for you to come back. He's like, he's like the father of the prodigal son, waiting for you with open arms. Come back to Him. God is the God of the fresh start. And let me tell you something. He can't wait for you to come to him. Some of you, your your visitors, but you've been coming here so long, we already thank your members. This is a good place. God's telling you, I want you to be a part of this church. I want you to belong here. You come forward. Ask Pastor Kim what you need to do next. All I'm asking for right now is for you to be obedient to what the Lord is telling you to do right now.